Good day, everyone. You're listening to Time for Your Hobby, and this is episode 92. Chirp, quack, tweet, hoot. I don't know why I said hoot like that. It sounds very Canadian, like a boot. But I'm Canadian, to be fair, so I think I get a pass on that. Anyways, uh, my name's Alex, and you're listening to Time for Your Hobby, and today I have the honor to have Eric as my guest on the show. How are you doing today? I am doing very well. It is fantastic weather here, so I can't couldn't be happier, honestly. <laughs> and I would imagine where you're from right now, you see a lot more birds this time of year than where I'm from. So it's a perfect condition, right? Oh, it's fantastic. <laughs> this this afternoon, we've, we've had such great weather. My wife and I were actually out uh, birding like probably 15 minutes ago, just sta- standing outside, enjoying the red winged blackbirds and everything, standing behind the hotel. Like the weather's just phenomenal, honestly. <laughs> Man, I, I already have so many questions that just popped up in my head right now, but... I have to follow some sort of format so people don't get lost. So before we jump into the birds, wildlife and nature and interest, who is Eric? Because I'm sure Eric is very interesting as well. Yeah. So I, there's a lot about me. (laughs) I'm I'm originally from Oregon. I, uh, born and raised near, uh, near Portland, Oregon. Wife and I got married back in 2013 and then we moved down to Texas, lived in Texas. We lived in Florida for a while, but now we're back in Cannon Beach, Oregon, um, running her family's, uh, small hotel. So it's a little 12-room hotel that's a lot of fun to run, just the two of us. <laughs> well, it's awesome. Actually, on that note, my family or my parents adopted a dog, and he's actually from Oregon. Oh, really? Yeah, and the species is called an American Indian dog. And I've never even heard of an American Indian dog. So it kind of looks like a husky. <laughs> and No, no, sorry, German Shepherd and Husky, but smaller, 45 pounds. And it's hyper hyperallergenic and very smart. There's another variation of it that is called a native American Indian dog, and that one's mixed with a wolf. But there's only two breeders in the world, one in Oregon and one in Switzerland. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> Anyways, this is not a dog episode. Yeah. This is a bird episode. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Unless dogs transform into birds somehow, then in that case, yeah. But no. Uh, so we know a little bit of Eric, which is perfect. And before we move on yeah. to the birds, do you have any social media links or websites that you would like to share so people can come check you out? I, I know you have a podcast. You want to share that as well? Anything at all? Yeah. So in addition to running the hotel, uh, my wife and I, um, we host a podcast all about birding, um, all of our adventures, all that stuff. It's called Hannah and Eric Go Birding. And we have a ton of social media, basically every form of social media we're present on. We're all over the place on Instagram. Um, we have two different handles. Hers, Hannah, Hannah Goes Birding, H-A-N-N-A-H, um, Goes Birding. And then mine, Eric Goes Birding, E-R-I-K Goes Birding. Um, we also have Facebook, uh, Hannah and Eric Go Birding, um, Twitter at We Go Birding, and our website is uh, gobirdingpodcast.com. So we're all over the internet. <laughs> so the better question to ask you is where are you not located in online? But <laughs> um, let's see, LinkedIn. I'm not on LinkedIn. Same so. <laughs> here. Same here. So we're in the same boat. We're everywhere else except LinkedIn. That's about it. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> well, that's perfect. I'll put that in the description below so people can go check that out, follow, support. Eric sounds like a very lovely and friendly person, so I do highly suggest you guys go give him some love. Now, we've mentioned birding a few times, and people listening might be curious what that is. If you don't mind me asking, what is birding? So, birding is kind of the more formalized, like, in the hobby, like, in the recreation word for bird watching. So, generally, people go bird watching, like, as, like, very ancillary to like their regular life is just kind of on the side generally the way i think of it and when i talk about birding i'm generally talking about like like intentional serious going out there to go specifically look for birds and 
hardcore. <laughs> like really trying to identify things you see, trying to target a specific species that you want to see for the day. Something like that is kind of birding, like a, a more serious form of bird watching. And for you, when you first started this, did you actually start off like being a bird watcher? Or are you just like, you know what, I want to go full in headfirst into birding? Like you research, you do everything at once. So it's it kind of started gradually. Um, back when uh, my wife Hannah was in uh, college, she had an ornithology class that was required by her for her degree. And it kind of she was she wasn't doing great in it. And we decided after the midterm, hey, let's let's go. Uh, let's go out, out and look at some birds and see if maybe that'll help us like or help her like be able to pass the pass the tests and pass the class and everything. So we we would go out up to Mary's Peak in Corvallis or uh, Finley National Wildlife Refuge down in Corvallis and just kind of go out and watch birds a little bit. We, we really didn't know what we were doing at all. We just had uh, kind of an old pair of um, Nikon binoculars that were kind of falling apart. And we just like went out and just looked at birds. And we didn't I think I don't even think we had a field guide when we first started. It was just kind of just going out and looking at birds. And then it kind of grew and grew and grew when we moved to Texas. We actually moved to Texas because Hannah got a job offer for um, Texas Parks and Wildlife as an interpretive ranger at the World Birding Center headquarters. So it was like that we were really diving in deep then. And we were really into the culture by the time we, we got married and we did that. But it kind of started gradually and we kind of worked our way up from kind of occasionally seeing birds to occasionally seeing birds intentionally to now that's all we do is we intentionally see birds on a daily basis and like pictures audio recordings everything we can possibly think of to enjoy them that's so awesome i bet you you have different strategies on how you approach birds like if they're on the ground you're like all right i gotta say this certain distance if they're in the air you try to mm -hmm. That's pretty cool. And actually, a random question that popped in my head is, um, yeah. what is the first bird you've ever documented? Um, so I don't I honestly don't remember the absolute first bird. A lot of people have like a spark bird that this this is the bird. They, they call it a mm -hmm. spark bird. The first bird that really gets you interested sparks the interest of birding as as a hobby and as a recreation. But I can't. I can't really think of like a spark bird or the first thing that I really identified Th things that were kind of immediately apparent are things like red winged blackbirds because they're just anytime you go to a wetland, they're everywhere. They're super loud and they're very um, gregarious. They'll stand out there on the top of top of the cattails, calling and calling and calling, showing <laughs> off their red shoulder. So it's I, I'm pro probably red winged blackbird, but I'm I'm not sure. <laughs> Is that the most common bird in Oregon? And also, what's the most common bird in Texas? Oh, I I I don't know. <laughs> so <laughs> I caught um, you off guard. <laughs> it, it, well, it's it's all good. So the um, birds like in in the town that I live here in C Cannon Beach here, we have two birds that are really common. Red winged blackbirds are common year round, and then we have two different or three different species of uh, gulls, uh, seagulls that are common, but they all interbreed and they there's it's very difficult to tell them apart. So there's gulls and then there's red winged blackbirds are both super common here in this part of Oregon. Di different parts of the state have more, more common birds, more different common birds. 
you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I know, I know exactly what you mean. And are any of those birds aggressive? And when I say aggressive, in the sense, let's say they're they have a nest full of babies and or eggs, and they if anybody comes nearby, regardless if they know or not know, like the birds would attack you. Yeah. So some there there are there are some so things like uh, a Canada goose, they're <laughs> they're just hyper aggressive all the time, but that's part of their survival strategy. They they they're very aggressive all the time. Um, but there, there's also, there's also other defense strategies that birds use aside from being aggressive. There's, um, there's a species of bird called a killdeer. It's, uh, lives all, all throughout, uh, the United States and up into Canada and down into Mexico and everything. And they are, it's a little species of shorebird that usually is found in like parking lots and stuff. And they lay their eggs on the ground with no protection whatsoever. And if, if you get near to the nest, the parents will jump off the nest and run around and pretend like they have a broken wing. And that way you chase you. you if you were a predator, you would chase after that bird with a broken wing and leave the nest alone. And then as soon as you're far enough away from the nest, the bird all of a sudden flies up and then flies around you and goes back to the nest. That is so cool. I've never heard that strategy before. Yeah. So there, there's there's a few species that do that. But killdeer is like the first one that comes to comes to mind. when you when you asked about aggressive, like that's it's not aggressive, but it's definitely a defense mechanism in terms of their young that's so cool like you hear a lot of like animals like pretend to play dead this one's like oh i'm mm -hmm. injured but follow me but i'm not gonna exactly, let you catch yeah. me that's so cool that is, that's pretty cool uh, and yes i do know a lot about canadian geese because i'm from ottawa ontario canada the capital of canada <laughs> and there's geese everywhere even on bike paths like people like just walk by them they're they're not as aggressive but if i'm sure if you get in their way they will yeah they'll leave a mark a pretty serious yeah. mark <laughs> Now, before uh, this conversation here, we were talking about this a little beforehand. You were mentioning competitive bird, sorry, competitive birding. If you yeah. don't mind me asking, what is the difference between being a casual birder? Is it called a birder? Or yeah, okay. yeah, birder, yeah. <laughs> birder. Uh, difference between being a casual birder and a competitive birder. Ca casual birders are kind of. Um, I mean, every, every. I think pretty much everyone in the world is a casual birder. Like you can use if you've ever noticed an American robin or a crow or Canada goose or any, anything like that, like you're, you, I can consider you a birder. Like that's, that's enough to be a birder. Like just noticing, <laughs> noticing birds and appreciating that they exist and all that. That's, that's where kind of where birding starts. And then it goes all the way to um, like a spectrum, all the way to the extreme of the extreme listing competitive birders. So birders are weird <laughs> <laughs> and we like to make lists. And there's it, within the United States, we break it down into a lot of different, a lot of different types of lists. You have a year list, the number of species that you've seen in the year. You can break that year list down to within the country, also within the state, within your county, hmm. within your yard. And there's, there's a website, uh, ebird.org that we use to document our, um, observations. And that's a website that is fantastic for breaking it down to make, if you're a hardcore lister and you're competitive, it makes it even worse because now you have a database that's keeping track of that at all times for you. But the, the people that are listing, like I'm, I'm one of them, but, uh, the people that are listing these things for year lists and stuff, we, we get really competitive to try to see as many as you can either in a day or a month or a week. And it's just listing after listing after listing, <laughs> which, which is tons of fun. I love it. 
That's so cool. And I don't know if this is a controversial thing, but do people tend to sometimes cheat? When I say cheat, in other words, like say they saw a bird but didn't really see it? Or is honesty like really good on this website? On honesty is huge. And so, so this website, it's actually um, ebird.org is a um, it's a database that's used by scientists. And so the the observations that you input into there are used by scientists to track um, to model population data for different species. And it's based it's citizen science. So it's you go out there, you make as many observations as you can. And honesty is the way the whole thing functions. And I I would venture to say more than 99% of all observations on there are truthful observations, or at least true enough to the extent that the person's observing. So I mean, if people are going to make mistakes, like they're you're you're going to misidentify something that happens all the time, but intentionally misidentifying something because you wanted to add it to your list. I think less less than one percent of the time that something like that happens, and usually those people end up getting called out at some point and. The birding is based entirely on your uh, on your reputation. So if you as soon as as soon as you get that mar on your reputation that you've been you've been stringing or you've been lying about birds that you're seeing, like it's gonna follow you, and then people just aren't gonna believe you, and you're you're not gonna make a lot of friends in the birding community. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine you have nothing to gain from it than that like little fifteen minutes of fame, and then it's just gonna fade oh, away. Oh yeah. <laughs> Oh, and it's not even 15 minutes. Like it's, it's like almost no fame at all. There's no, there's no money involved. Even, even in the big birding competitions, um, like in the great Texas birding classic, it's a, um, Texas parks and wildlife holds this competition every spring. And you go out there and you see as many birds as you can in some different categories, human powered, um, human powered big day or a big week all throughout Texas or stuff like that, where you just see as many species as you can given certain constraints, either time constraints or location constraints. And like even the prize for that is a t-shirt. Like it's not, it's not like you win something big. It's there's nothing to gain except for like perceived popularity or perceived fame, mm -hmm. which doesn't last for very long. <laughs> At the end of the day, it's more about the experience rather than exactly <laughs> yeah which is always a wonderful thing and that's exactly why i have you here for your experience <laughs> and uh so you're talking about like database and like organizing everything how many birds have you seen not like individual birds let's say you've seen like 50 goose or geese i mean mm -hmm. like different species <laughs> so i have seen um 1157 species wow which ebird does a great job of keeping track of that so i know exactly how many i have at any given minute but there's a total just over 10,000 species in the world. So I'm my wife and I refer to it as a 10% club. We just joined the 10% club. That's so cool. I don't think anyone else ever calls it that. I think we just call it that. But <laughs> we're, coining, we're coining it here. It's coined unless you yeah. already used it. And everybody else. We, we've used it on our podcast. Then it's already been coined. That's there. the only other place. <laughs> so it's been coined in two places now. So it's official. Yes, <laughs> it's official. It's it's been seconded. Motion passes. It's, it's, in, it's international. It's in Canada and the States now. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so the um, we we I, I keep track pretty diligently of how many birds I've seen and where I've seen them, and I we used to keep track just on an Excel spreadsheet. But then when eBird um, was launched, we keep track of everything there. We went back and uh, posted all of our lists that uh, that we had made from back before we used eBird. And so every, everything that I've ever seen for birds is listed on eBird. I have it like a lot of it written down too, anyways, but. 
as a backup, but it's all listed on eBird. So it's convenient all in all in one place. I can go there and look at how many if, if I want to know like, oh, how many birds have I seen in um, Washington state on um, ever? And I can go there and look and find that information. So it's it's kind of cool. I love how it's like such a detailed site and everything's concise, organized. Now, this might be a bad question, but is there anything on that site that you wish they had? that would improve the experience? Like, oh, this like new form of organizing or a new type of data they should add in or anything like that? No, so there's there's some like nitpicky things that I would, I'd like to see on there, but I it, the whole website's free. It's run entirely, it's run entirely on donations. And like, I'm, I don't, there's no way I want to push them to anything. Cause it's like, I'm, I, I get all of this out of a free website. Like there's, it's so much that I, I personally enjoy that it's like okay everything you guys are doing is fantastic <laughs> so i don't i don't want to push it any further i'm paying nothing and i want everything <laughs> exactly exactly and now when it comes to actually birding itself what kind of gear do you bring along with you so it kind of depends on how like long we're going to be out in the field um i have i have a big digital camera a uh, big um, with a telephoto lens that i usually carry with me almost all almost every time i go birding I have a pair of binoculars that every time I go, I carry with me. Um, we have on our phones, we have uh, field guide apps that uh, are basically like a paper field guide, but it's on as an app on your phone. I also carry with me usually a audio audio recording device. It's the the same one that I use for uh, for recording our podcast, but I just carry that with me and I use it to record bird calls. And then Hannah usually gets the burden of carrying our spotting scope. <laughs> so she'll, she'll carry that i carry i carry the other stuff and then we go out there and look like a bunch of doofuses walking around carrying a ton of gear walking through the forest <laughs> but no it's when people see you it's like oh these people are on a mission they are they're out for something oh, yeah. oh for sure we get questioned all the time <laughs> but i'm sure like it's questioned out of curiosity like they want really want oh, to yeah. know and uh have you actually stayed in touch with any of these people afterwards like hey you're birding now i i haven't met anyone that that I, that I all of a sudden I found out they were birding afterwards, but I have kept in contact with, we've met a couple random people on the trail that were like, Hey, what are you doing? What, what, what do you, what are you, why are you carrying all that stuff? And we talked to them for a while and then I've ended up following them on Facebook at some point, but they're, they're, they're just living their life, doing their thing. But it was just like, just random people I've met on the trail. And now, now suddenly we're, we're friends on Facebook, like Facebook friends, internet friends. That's, but, that's awesome. Like us, still friends. like yeah. us, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, this random thought popped up in my head as well, because um, you were mentioning binoculars and you have a camera as well. Does it exist a binocular with like a camera system inside, like a really good one? So instead of like you have to look through the binoculars, take out your camera, it's like both of them integrated together. So the um, there's there's a whole like the if you want to go into optics, there is like piles and piles and piles of optics stuff to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> but um there, there, there's something that um, a company, uh, a glass company, uh, Swarovski, they make uh, they make really high end binoculars. They also make uh, like glass um, and crystal like jewelry and stuff like that. But um, but they make they they just recently partnered with Merlin, which is the um, is, which is a subset of eBird. It's kind of Cornell Labs, Merlin, eBird. They're all together as one giant thing. They, um, Swarovski partnered with them to make this device that, uh, you could take a, it was, it's, uh, binoculars that you could take a picture of and it'll identify the bird that you took a picture of. That's so cool. Which is just weird, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, I think it's a, a six power binocular that, uh, 
that takes a picture and then it syncs it to your phone and then it identifies with the Merlin app on your phone. So it, it uses Bluetooth to connect to your phone. And then you can also like show people what you're looking at, like through the binoculars, they could, they could log into the log into the device on their phone. And I, I don't know, there's, I, I, they just released it like a couple months back. So I, I got to play around with it a little bit last, uh, last November, but it's, it's not something that I really want, want to mess with, but, uh, but it's definitely a thing that is out there now and is, is interesting. <laughs> but it's cool that, yeah, you said you're right. It's out there and it means that a lot more people are showing interest that they're developing more technology towards improving birding, which is so cool. That's awesome. That's like, oh man, that is so cool. Technology is cool. Um, actually speaking about technology and gear, <laughs> I sound like an idiot saying that, but yeah. <laughs> Is there anything that you wish you had for birding that doesn't necessarily exist yet? Like a type of gear or I don't know, anything at all? I don't know. So I like years back, I thought that this thing that Swarovski just came out with, with uh, you'd be able to take a picture and it could identify. I thought that would be the coolest thing ever. And then as I've birded more and more, I keep thinking like, well, that takes a lot of the fun out of it. <laughs> it takes a, it takes a lot of the, a lot of the work out of like learning the bird. Like, cause it to a certain extent that it doesn't do it 100%. Like you're not going to get a hundred percent ID on everything. So there's groups of birds that are almost impossible to tell apart visually. You have to know their call. And so it's, it's not going to do anything for that. So it'll say, Oh, well that's a, that's a fly catcher. I don't know what kind, but it's a fly catcher. <laughs> so you, you still have to know, but I feel like it does take some of the, a little bit of the fun out of it. So I, I don't know. I really, I wish I had a lighter, like a, a more lightweight camera. So, cause my, my camera setup is, I think it weighs like 11 pounds maybe. So it's, it's, it's kind of exhausting carrying it on one shoulder all day long as you're hiking. But I don't know. I, I, I kind of like it, all the stuff that I have. So <laughs> <laughs> another random thought that came in my head. Um, I don't know if you're going to be for it or against it. You know how you're saying like yeah. some binoculars can tell like AI basically identifying the bird. But instead of that, <laughs> what, what about like a thermal binocular that will be able to detect like body heat so you can see where the bird is located and then you can like switch it on and off and like then you could observe the bird. That would be kind of interesting. So there's it, it would be kind of interesting to see like like when you can't see into the bushes, like, oh, well, how, how many, how many are deep into that bush? But then also feathers are really good insulators. So I don't know how much heat you'd be able to see through their feathers. I don't know. Somebody working in the <laughs> binocular camera uh, district or industrial situation, if you want to work on that, you know, uh, give a shout out to Eric. I'm sure he'd be uh, interested in giving some input on how you can make it better or not. Either yeah, way. I'll test it. Too. <laughs> yeah, you'll test send it. me one. I'll go hide in the bush. You can see if you can see me and I'll cover myself with feathers. <laughs> uh, but yes, where have you actually gone to travel to go birding? So we have gone a lot of places. We, um, we moved to Texas um, because of birding. We moved to Florida because of birding. Um, and then we've also gone on multiple international trips. Um, a few years back, we went to Southeast Asia where we went to uh, Malaysia and a little bit in Indonesia. And, um, just kind of, we went to Borneo and we, we just traveled all around over there doing as much birding as we could. Um, went to Singapore when we were on that trip too. That was a ton of fun. We, um, just recently got back from Scandinavia. We've been to Ecuador. We spent two weeks in Ecuador, um, a couple of years back, uh, Costa Rica, Cuba, France, like it's and, and anywhere that has a cheap flight 
has birds <laughs> there. So we're going to go like we we book all of our flights when we find a cheap flight somewhere. We don't really have a destination in mind. We always just say, OK, well, whatever is the cheapest flight in this time frame, we'll go there. And so we book something cheap and then we and everywhere in the world has birds. So you can you can go bird anywhere, even even go down to Antarctica. There's not <laughs> very many birds, but there there are birds down there. So it's everywhere you go, you're going to find birds. So we're pretty much everywhere we go. We go for birding. That's awesome. I love the sporadic, like just spontaneous, not sporadic, spontaneous, uh, like, oh, cheap flight. There's got to be some awesome birds there. Yeah. And that actually is a question or it leads up to my next question. Is there anywhere you would like to go? Like, what's the next place on your list? So the next place that's actually on our list that we're going, um, we're going to Israel at the end of next month, um, at the end of uh, March. We're doing a uh, birding competition over there uh, called the Champions of the Flyway. Uh, my wife's on the first international all women's uh, team that's competing this year, Women in Step. They're trying to raise money to promote the um, conservation of the Step Eagle over there. And but aside from where we're already planned on going, places like I, pr I pretty much just want to go like everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> but what, what, kind of on the shorter shorter list it would be any any of any place in. Cent Central Eastern uh, Africa, any of those countries over there, Kenya, Uganda, those that whole section of um, Africa is just full of wildlife. And I would just love to go over there and see some really, really fantastic, like African tropical species. Do you, t do you also take videos or just pictures? Um, pictures and audio. I don't I haven't figured out how to do <laughs> video. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm a big like documentary fan and I always like like watching those documentaries about like animals and stuff like that. And it comes to South America, there's a lot of like exotic birds with rituals and mating displays that are really cool. Mm -hmm. Have you ever seen any of those? I've I've seen so I've seen some really cool stuff here in the States of um mating displays, things like uh when red tail hawks are locking talons and spinning and the um, sandhill cranes, um, up here, they'll do these crazy weird dances where they grab sticks and throw them and <laughs> they, they dance around. So there, there's some really cool stuff that I've seen up here, but I haven't, I haven't been down into the tropics or anything during breeding season to see any of that cool, any, any of them doing display behaviors, doing that in, in the tropics, unfortunately, which I'd love to do that sometime. For the people listening, uh, the main displays does not transfer to humans. You cannot throw sticks. It will not work. It would be really weird if you did. But uh, on that note of a cool experience, what is the most interesting thing you've ever seen while birding? I don't know. This, so I, I've, I've been trying to think. We're, I, I, can't, I can't think of like something that's like a particular super interesting like bird experience. I mean, every day there's another bird experience. Of, of something interesting that's good uh, Two, i think yeah it was two years ago um, um hannah and i went down to the rio grande valley birding festival and there was a sighting of a rare bird called a roadside hawk it's i think it was the second time the only the second time that it had been sighted in the united states and so we're we're, we're super excited we're like oh well we'll go we'll go make sure like after we were done guiding for the day We'll go head out and see if we can find it with with some people. And so we're sitting in the break room and eating eating our lunch. And then uh, this guy uh, Richard Crosley, he's um, one of the authors of a, no a number of field guides. He he busts in the door and he says, "All right, 
I'm not driving, but which one of you guys are going out to go find that roadside hawk? <laughs> and, and then one of our other friends raises his hand. He's like, I'm going. It's like, all right, well, if Richard Crosley's going with him, we're going to go with him too. <laughs> so so we, all, we all pile into a van and go go racing down the highway to go find uh, this roadside hawk. We, we end up seeing it. And so we're, we're all standing on the side of the road looking at this hawk, which is fantastic. And it, it looks, it's just another, um, a Budio style hawk. So like a red tail hawk or something like that. It's a, a different shape and a little bit different size and different colors, but it's, it's basically, it's to, to the untrained eye, it's just another hawk, but we have, there's hundreds of birders on this road standing, looking at this hawk and we're so excited. And then, but the sun was starting to set and, uh, Richard Crosley, he, he was like, Oh, I need to, I need to go get pictures of green parakeets. So <laughs> for because for whatever guide he was riding at the time so we go racing off down the road and stop like on the side of the highway and he's he's racing back and forth taking pictures and Hannah and i are just sitting there like this is the craziest thing ever we, <laughs> we dri- drive halfway across the county to go look at this look look at a rare like this like code five like roadside hawk a rare bird now we're standing looking at green parakeets <laughs> but it was 100 percent worth it oh at 100 <laughs> percent, yeah it's it's definitely something to remember but so like like in terms of like interpersonal things, I th- think that's really interesting. But like bird stuff, that's interesting. Like every, every day you see something new and you see something interesting, see, see a different behavior. We heard um, some European starlings um, like a half hour ago standing out behind the hotel. And one of them was imitating a, a bald eagle. Like really? it's, we're, we're, we're standing there. It's just interesting things that just happen. Like. It, not not something anything you plan or anything you're just standing and observing and all of a sudden boom like this weird thing happens so i mean you, you never know when something interesting and exciting is just gonna jump out in front of you when you're paying attention i don't know about you but i always find it interesting when an animal starts doing something that is completely out of their nature mm-hmm. and i'm sure that happens not quite often but i would imagine it happens sometimes in birding as well have you ever seen that like a bird oh, yeah. that you know has a certain type of like habit and then you just see it do something that is completely out of its nature. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, it's in the backlog of your memory. Yeah. It's like you see so many interesting things. Anyway, so the next question, I don't want to get yeah. you too stumped. Uh, <laughs> is there any specific bird that you would love to see, but just haven't had the chance to see it? Like it's the first one on your list. So there's, th- this is like a really easy answer for me, but hard to explain. <laughs> so my, uh, my, my favorite genus of all birds are woodpeckers. So all, all the, all the birds that are within the woodpecker family are my favorite. There's, there's hundreds of them. We, we only have like 12 of them here in the state or 15 of them here in the States or something like that. But like, I love woodpeckers and specifically there's a family within it called the Campophilus woodpeckers. And that's most of them are down in South America. There's a couple over in Asia, but there used to be one that has gone extinct in the United States called the ivory billed woodpecker. And that's that's the one I want to see. The one that's extinct that may or may not. There, there was supposedly a potential sighting back in 2004, I believe, was the there was a video of something that some people think it was a hoax. Some people don't. But. It's a very large woodpecker. So if you're familiar with the pileated woodpecker, which is a big redheaded woodpecker that Woody the Woodpecker from the cartoons back in the day that he was based on, that that large woodpecker, it's like twice the size of that woodpecker. Oh, wow. It's a, it's a monster woodpecker and it has this huge giant chisel bill and it's 
it, from from all from all written accounts, it's just a like a spectacular thing to see. And I, I would love to see that. I have seen one other species in the Campophilus uh, family, um, the pale-billed woodpecker down in Costa Rica. But any anything in the Campophilus genus, I would be so happy, like or the family, I would be so happy to see that. Watch it like tomorrow morning, you just see it. And you're like, oh, Alex, I should have, oh, bad timing. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, have has it ever happened to you that you woke up to the sound of a woodpecker just in the morning? It's happened to me a few times. Has it ever happened to you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So they <laughs> woodpeckers, especially during breeding season, they love to make noise like and attract some females. So like if you have exposed flashing on on your sighting, that's metal. You'll you'll attract northern flickers and the um, pileated's love it, too, because it's so loud when they hammer on it to try to to try to attract the um, the females. So it's, it's especially breeding season. If you're in the forest, you'll hear it and it's, it'll it, it's loud. <laughs> stupid, really stupid question. But have you ever, let's say, gone to the forest with a hammer and try to mimic or another type of object to mimic that exact sound to try to attract another woodpecker? <laughs> there, there's a thing that um, birders do called uh, pishing, um, P-I-S-H-I-N-G. It's um, it's a thing that you use your mouth or your voice to make sounds to mimic birds in order to get a response from them. Because if you play a recording, a recording is too close to the bird call and it can agitate birds. Um, and so playing recordings is kind of frowned upon. But pishing is it's a sound that you're making and it's generally far enough away that, that it's it can't be amplified. And there, there's a lot of things that it's not potentially isn't as harmful to a bird's um living its life as playing a recording. So mm -hmm. we, I do a thing where I'll um, just click my tongue like as quick as I can, like, and it's, I, I do, I do it as much as I can, as fast as I can, whenever I hear a woodpecker hammering and probably 25% of the time, or maybe 15% of the time I can actually get a woodpecker to respond with, with a hammer and then it'll then it'll come closer and it'll start chattering which is super exciting i've, I've had it work in a couple different places that's so but it's cool. like i said it's only like 15 percent of the time maybe <laughs> but you're like it's like you're like oh my god i just became a bird whisperer at that point that's awesome yeah oh i know it's it's super exciting when it happens it's like oh yes it responded no, right, no, what? Come, come a little bit closer <laughs> exactly what do i do now actually on that note uh how many t different types of sounds can you do um i cannot do that many i am not very talented I can I can click my tongue to imitate hammering of a woodpecker and I can whistle a couple things. But ge generally, the only sound I, I make is this uh, sound that almost sounds like the word pish, which is where the, um, the the onomatopoeia comes from. Pishing is kind of like a sh -sh sound that you would make. And it's it's really good at agitating small, small songbirds like the um, kinglets and stuff. It really agitates them. So then they come and investigate you. So that, that's generally the only noise I make <laughs> that that and the clicking for woodpeckers. And then they come by like, where's the bird? Who's this guy? What is this giant, yeah. giant uh, human doing who, here? <laughs> who's this jerk making that noise? Gosh. Speaking my language poorly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Can't understand him. The only thing you know how to say is, where's the washroom? <laughs> where's the washroom? <laughs> uh, now, this is another stupid question, but it's really stupid. Probably the stupidest one I've had so far. But do you consider seeing birds in a zoo part of your birding collection? So that's a question that we get asked by non-birders a lot. And it's, so it's definitely not a stupid question at all. So generally, like it's, 
to in, for anyone, your list of your birds is your list. Like it's it's not like it's someone else. It's your list. Like personally, it's whatever whatever you want to count. Whatever you want to count. If you want to count captive birds, that's fine. But in order, like for for us, and there there are an official official set of American Birding Association rules. Um, anything that is a captive bird, a dead bird, or any a bird that's otherwise not free flying doesn't count as a bird to put on your ABA list, your American Birding Association list. So any anything that's actually captive in the zoo, I don't I don't count it on my list. But I have found a lifer while at a zoo. Um, a lifer is a bird the first time you've ever seen it in your life. I've seen a lifer, a black-bellied whistling duck. The first time I ever saw that duck when it was flying free and wild was at the Gladys Porter Zoo in Brownsville, Texas. So I, w- I was at the zoo and it was inside an enclosure, but it wasn't captive in the enclosure. It was it, it was a wild a wild <laughs> duck. It just happened to be in the enclosure. It's a, it's a very common duck for that area. I just hadn't. We, we had just moved there and I hadn't seen it yet. And as soon as, as, soon as we got to the zoo, they're all over in the bird in, in in some of the bird enclosures stealing all the other bird food from <laughs> the captive from the captive birds so it's one of those like thin lines like it's not captive but it's like in a zoo so exactly it it's, it's in a zoo yeah <laughs> it's visiting for the day <laughs> exactly it has a visitor pass uh and for you what would you say is the best part about birding on a personal and emotional level i have always loved to learn like just to learn anything anything about anything and birding provides that outlet daily and just constantly. So just being able to continually improve my identification skills, my observational skills on a daily basis, improving that that's kind of tied with like tied in terms of what I love most with being able to meet people and be social and introduce people to birding. Like those two things are learning and meeting people are like the two top things for me about about birding like the the birds are up there too but like but, <laughs> but, but le- learning about them. <laughs> the, the le- learning and then meet, meeting people and being able to connect people with nature being able myself to be able to connect to nature and uh, just enjoy the world around me that's awesome and that's why i have you here and hopefully people listening to this get in contact with you and then you just grow this birding community yeah, it's it's a huge community already, but it, it, we can always use more. We can always use more people that care about the environment and care about the, the birds and enjoy nature. Well, birds are awesome, except when they're poking at my head. They're awesome. I, I, I remember <laughs> I went to uh, a theme park and a bird just kept on attacking my head. I'm bald. I don't know if that's a thing. They just really hate bald men. I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so I wear a hat just in case. But uh, yes, for you, what was your biggest challenge when you first started birding? knowing what I'm looking at. So like I said, when when we first started, I didn't have a field guide and we didn't really know what we were looking at. We didn't really know the depth of this activity. We didn't know that there were people, that there were thousands of people that are out there looking for birds every day. We We didn't know any of that existed. And so we started off and it was just like, it was just the two of us walking around in the forest, looking at birds. Like we didn't, we didn't have a mentor to help direct us and, teach us things we didn't have a field guide to start with so it was just basically just learning <laughs> that, that, that was just trying to learn and get over that first hurdle of 
what what is that brown bird flying around <laughs> in that bush? Like, I, I don't know how to narrow it down to anything. It's a brown bird of some sort. It could be anything. It could be a flamingo. I don't know what it is. It's something <laughs> in that bush and it's flying around. It has wings. It's, That's, it's a moose. <laughs> yeah. Getting, getting over that hurdle was, I think, the the slowest and the longest like learning curve that we had just just getting started but once once we got started though it's just becomes a daily challenge of like what what is this bird that's like now instead of like well is that is that a robin or is that a crow now we're looking at oh well there's like like i was saying there's three species of gulls out here that all interbreed and it's like, well, what goal is that? Is that a Western goal? Is that a glaucus winged goal? Is it, is it one of these goals? Be- and it's just trying to separate that out now at, at, at the point that we're at now. So it's just constantly every day is a new challenge. Every day affords a new thing to learn. But that biggest challenge is just getting started, like knowing how where to find yourself in a field guide when you finally get a field guide, like where how to find what you're looking for and what, what you're looking at. And I would imagine there's a lot of resources online that helps you out. It would have been a lot harder, let's say, 30 years ago. But now since the internet's here, I guess it makes it a little easier, right? Oh, significantly, yeah. <laughs> so there's there, there's a ton of things now that young birders now get that young birders um, 20 years ago did not get and didn't have the opportunity at all to have. So there's, there's apps, there's um, image recognition software from uh, Cornell Lab of Ornithology that can... If you if you take a picture of a bird, you can identify it pretty much. And if it, if it's a North American bird, you can identify it from a picture with this app. Like it's so you you just it helps you learning so much faster with all of these online resources to just figure stuff out. And back back twenty years ago, you had a paper field guide, and if you if you had a lot of money, you had a camera, so you'd have a camera that took okay photos and a field guide, and you have to try to figure everything out from that. Now it's much more technology. <laughs> Everything's there, just at your fingertips. You just have to know where exactly. to go to find it. <laughs> exactly. Has birding ever stressed you out? In other words, let's say you went out for like an adventure and just your camera was in full, like the battery was in full, the birds weren't coming out, it was raining so hard, anything like that. We've had a ton of uh, stressful days. Nothing like, nothing stressful enough to be like, why am I birding? <laughs> but it's always it's always like just some frustration. Like you said, a camera's, camera's not fully charged or the biggest fight that I can think of that my wife and I have had was we were standing down in, in San Diego. We were birding in San Diego on Mission Bay and we were looking out over the water. I was looking at one bird and I thought Hannah and I, I thought we were both looking at the same bird. Oh, no. <laughs> and she was like, well, is that is that a bufflehead, which is a type of diving duck? I was like, I, I have no idea. Or maybe it's the other way around. But one of us thought it was a bufflehead. One of us thought it was something else. And both of the birds were vastly different birds that we were looking at. <laughs> and we, we were legitimately looking at two different birds, but we just stood and fought and fought and, and just yelled. And it, it was intense for a few minutes. And then and then we realized, wait a minute, you're looking at that bird that's like 10 feet away. I'm looking at that bird that's like 40 feet away. And then, and then it became a giant hysterical laughing fit. Like, I can't believe we just fought for the last 10 minutes screaming about bufflehead this, bufflehead that. Like, no, it's two different birds. So we, we, we've had we've had days like that where we're we're not looking at the same thing. And then there's also like like we were talking about earlier with competitive bird watching when we're out there and we're just trying to get as many birds as we can. And you you get to like 
noon or one o'clock and the bird activity starts dropping off and you're looking at the numbers that you have for the day and you're like, I don't, I don't have what I should have. I, I only have X number of species. I should have Y number of species, but, and I see, so you start getting stressed out. And so there's, there, there's some days that it can be stressful, but that's not every day. <laughs> I just love that story. And it happens like in every relationship, not just for birding, but just like you're talking about two different things and you think you're talking about the same thing, but oh, seriously. at least you were able to resolve that or it wasn't just left in the air thinking for the rest of your life that you were both talking about two different or the same bird. <laughs> yeah, ser- seriously. That, that bird doesn't have any white on it. What are you talking about? That bird is covered in white. <laughs> And people yeah. walking by are like, why are they yelling about two different birds? <laughs> <laughs> why are they fighting? They're just standing next to, they're just standing on the beach yelling at each other. I don't know what's going on. And the birds are like, what the hell are they talking about? <laughs> uh, now for you, what has birding taught you in life? It has taught me how to travel. My, my wife, she, she books most of the, most of the flights because she, she just loves to search for the flight, flight deals that are great. But it, it has taught taught me how to travel like we before we were birding we we're not traveling <laughs> and um birding it, it forces you to, to like or it doesn't force you it, <laughs> it makes you want to travel it makes you it makes you want to go see more things so that drive to want to go see more things is like okay well now i need i, I want i need to go to ecuador now i need i need to go to russia i need to go i need to go places and in order to go those place, to those places, I need to find an economical way to do that. Otherwise, I can't go to someplace else next year because I won't have money for it. So it's just le- learning how to travel economically has been like probably the one of the biggest things that uh, that I have learned through birding. That's not bird related. That's not directly bird related. <laughs> but I love that connection. Like one thing taught you another thing. And it's, that's, that's oh, yeah. awesome. I love that about hobbies, how it just teaches you life lessons that are not necessarily related to your hobby, but is practical to everything else. And then just, they're all intertwined, which is perfect. Oh, absolutely. And uh, I forgot to ask this question earlier on, but what is your preferred season to go birding? So See, birding's birding's year round. You can you can bird 365 days a year. This year you can bird 366 days, <laughs> but you you can bird at all all year round. It just depends on what your how comfortable you are with being uncomfortable and where you live. So if you live down in the south, you live down in Texas and Florida. It's really comfortable to bird in the winter. You have some really good species in the winter too, but when it gets to the summer. You have fewer species. There's a few things that are different in the summer that you don't have in the winter, but it's so uncomfortable to be outside. So you can, there's cool things to see, but it's also like a hundred degrees, a hundred percent humidity. So it's, it's uncomfortable. And then you have the flip side. You, you live up in, in the North, you live up, up where you're at, or you live where, where I'm at over here in Oregon. And in the winter, it gets a little bit chilly and but the winter has different species than you have in the summer here. So it's kind of, you, you have, you have different things. I love birding I, year round. I'm, I'm, I want to see things. I, I made a challenge last year to bird every single day. I birded every single day last year. I didn't miss a single day. I was able to get outside every day and bird for at least five minutes. But year round is like, I, I don't, I don't hold a preference for, or anything. If if I want to see a large number of species, I, I spring. But but if it, just to go birding, I love all year round. Oh, congrats to you, man, for doing it for a full year, like one of your challenges. That's awesome. And I bet you you have like so much database because that's like good research. And like, all right, well, this is more common for these birds at this time during this day. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. 
And uh, for a little darker side, now going from cool to like, ooh, not as cool and scary. <laughs> what are some misconceptions about people who go birding? Uh, the biggest misconception is that everyone that's birding is old and retired. And I mean, it's, it's true to some extent still, but it's the dynamic is shifting there. Um, I'm I'm 30 and there are a number of birders that are within my social group that are between like eight to 10 years younger than I am that are birding and have been birding for just as long as I've been birding. And so the dynamics shifting and it's not the old retired person that's wearing a big wide brimmed hat standing, standing outside yelling at people to get off their lawn, sort of people that are out there birding anymore. Now now it's becoming more and more inclusive. There's more women birding. There's more uh, people of color birding. There's more young people birding. So it's becoming a more inclusive hobby than it used to be. It's just old white people out there birding. (laughs) And you know what? What's great about it too is that because you're saying a lot more younger people are doing it because birding can also be a very physical thing to do to go catch that bird at a specific time like you were saying your adventure with your friends like hey we're going out we're gonna go see this bird right now boom like for some people who are older i'm not discriminating older people but it might be easier for them for like i want to say them i mean younger people but at the same time birding is just proven to be one of those hobbies that can be enjoyed by very young people like at the, like the moment you can see that's the moment you can enjoy it till you're old or let's call it wise wiser <laughs> oh, exactly you you can enjoy it at any age i guess the main reason it's mostly retired or has historically been mostly retired people is because you have more time for it mm-hmm. once once you don't have a job to go to nine to five or 40 hours a week or wh- whatever it is you do on a daily basis once you don't have to do that every day you, you, all of a sudden your schedule frees up and be, before it fills in with volunteer opportunities that you can't get out of <laughs> yeah um <laughs> Before it fills up with that stuff, it, you can uh, start birding. And so generally, that's that's how it went historically. But but now it's we, we have the millennials, we have the gen, the gen X, the gen Y that are starting to get into like squeezing their little bit of free time they have and going birding. So which is which is nice. Now, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but feeding, let's say bread is bad for birds, correct? Yeah. So anything, anything that's uh, processed is bad. So the process, the processing of wheat takes out a lot of things and adds in sugars. And so that's, it's basically like eating candy. And so like things like your mallards and other ducks, other duck species that are in ponds, if you feed them, if you feed them bread, it's basically like feeding them candy and they love it because it's like for us eating candy, but if they eat it and eat it and eat it, that's all they want. And they develop these uh, bone disorders um, like angel wing where their wings become misshapen and they can't fly anymore because of it. And it's just because their body isn't getting the nutrients that it needs. And so it's definitely not a good thing to give anything processed. If you want to give birds things, go, go buy some wild bird seed and toss out some millet or sunflower seeds. They'll love it. But they won't love it as much as white bread because <laughs> it's not candy. It's it's food they need, but it's not food they want. But I guess it's really important to know this. If you are planning to feed the birds and uh, to make sure that they're healthy, you've got to feed them things that are good for them. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And it's they're, they're not going to they're not going to be around like you, you, you might have your your four ducks that you've been feeding for 10 years. But because they're not getting the nutrients they need, 
they're not going to breed. They're not going to have babies and you're not going to have ducks. Like it's you, you, you might think that, oh, well, it, the ducks went away because I'm not feeding on the bread. But it's good that they went away because now they're finding their own food. They'll be back if you're if, they, if, if there's appropriate habitat and the food that they can find that they actually need. But if, if you keep feeding them bread, then they're going to they're going to eventually die, which just happens. They're going to get old and die, but they're not going to be able to give you new new ducks to watch. So. So be responsible, save the environment, feed ducks the responsible way. And I sound like uh, you're, you're a parent telling you this. <laughs> There's research online, just, you know, be conscious about the environment. Anyways, do you have any word of advice for anybody who might be interested in this hobby? Stay off the internet. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> right after what so I they're, just they're, said. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, so stay off the social media parts of the internet. So there's people that are like, it's as with everything, there's always the people that get too far into it and just hate, 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 especially hating on people that are new to it. But everyone's new. Everyone starts. Everyone has to learn how to, how to tell apart a crow from an American Robin. Like there, it's things you, you need to learn and don't let anyone tell you that you're not learning fast enough because learning takes time and it takes, it takes effort and just do it. Just go bird. Just go outside. Enjoy it. You're absolutely right. Everybody goes at their own speed. And especially for birding, it's one of those, it's like fishing. You have to be patient. Exactly. Yeah. You're, you're not going to learn it all in one day. You're not going to catch all the fish in one day. You're going to, there's going to be a learning curve. And some days you're going to see more birds than others. And it's just perfectly normal. It's a learning experience. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now we talked about this at the beginning of the episode, but I'll mention it again at the end. Do you have any social media links websites or projects that you would love to share with the listeners? You can even promote your hotel if you like. Yeah. So again, our, our social media accounts, I've got Instagram, Hannah goes birding and Eric goes birding, Facebook, Hannah and Eric go birding, Twitter at we go birding, our website, gobirdingpodcast.com. The hotel that I manage with my wife, her family's hotel is the Seabreeze Court. We're in Cannon Beach, Oregon. If you're ever visiting Cannon Beach, we give a birder discount. Just give us a call direct and we'll, we'll let you know or let us know that you're a birder and we'll, we'll give you a little bit of a discount on your room. And, uh, I, I guess one, one more plug for, uh, for Hannah's team, uh, the women in step for the champions of the flyway. They're always, they're looking for more donations. They're, uh, trying to raise money for the step Eagle. You can find them at, uh, at the website, cha uh, champions of the flyway. I don't have the URL right offhand, but, uh, but yeah, they're the women in step. They're definitely looking for uh, for more donations for them. The first all women's international birding co competitive birding team. That's perfect. I'll put all that information in the description below. And just out of curiosity, when is that event happening? That's the end of March. Um, so we're like a, almost a little bit more than a month out from the competition right now. Well, this is a little, I wouldn't say it's awkward, but I tend to record my episodes way ahead of schedule and this one will come out oh, maybe cool. in July. <laughs> so, might, oh, perfect. So, uh, you know, is there another event coming up that people can come support afterwards? Oh, there, well, there, there, there will be another Champions of the Flyway next year that I don't know. I don't know any of the specifics about it yet. <laughs> we'll, we'll find them out after the event this year, but, uh, but yeah, the Champions of the Flyway is a fantastic event to to support. Um, even if even if we're not competing next year, it's it's a fantastic event to support. 
They um, always always building money towards conservation for different uh, different species every year. There's there's a, there are a million things you could donate your money to. <laughs> well, in that case, once it does come along, you can just send me a link. I my objective is always to support my guests no matter what throughout the rest of my life or the rest of the podcast. Uh, it doesn't matter if there's something that comes up like, hey, Alex, there's a new event. There's a new thing. We did a promotion for this, this and this. I'm like, OK, I'll add that in the description below. So people who are listening, because this podcast is going to be listened to people in the future and maybe 10 years from now, they're like, oh, what's this? Oh, and then go check it out. So, yeah, just send me that link whenever it's ready and then we'll just share it with the world. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you. And for the last question, do you have any questions for me about birding? So when are we going to go birding? <laughs> that's that's my question. Well, if you ever come up to Ottawa, <laughs> I'm always down. Like, I remember this one experience that stuck in my brain. Like, it was my first, I guess, I don't know if it's called birding, but it was my first, like, whoa, birds are awesome experience. So back in my parents' house, I remember one morning, I'm like, I just keep hearing, like, chirping, like, like painful chirping or, like, uh, tweeting with some sort of bird. And then, I, like, for a good 20 minutes, and then I go outside, I see a cat is attacking a baby blue jay. Oh, no. And I'm like, oh. and my, my neighbor, my, my, one of my best friends, saw that, too. And we're, like, looking at each other, like, in a movie, like, whew, quick look. We knew exactly what to do. We both went back into our houses. We got our super soaker, <laughs> filled it up with water <laughs> and tried to scare away the cat. So the cat mm -hmm. ran away, but the cat was hanging around. So we we're like playing defense while my dad came to try to get a box to put the bird in the box. And then we brought it to a like animal hospital and they yeah. took care of the bird. I think it's like a week or so later. All we hear is like chirping choo, 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 like that. And we look out the window. There are four blue jays just sitting on the fence, looking right into our window chirping. I don't know if that's <laughs> like, a thing or it's just coincident but for us it's like oh my god are they saying thank you we don't know but it was just so cool <laughs> yeah it's interesting yeah the um cats are definitely destructive to birds <laughs> we, we keep our cats inside for that reason among many other reasons yeah i remember we had a neighbor's cat i don't know it's a little off topic but every now and then like in the morning we'd find dead bats on the ground because apparently the cats go hunting for bats uh <laughs> yeah uh, keep your cats inside <laughs> don't let them teach them not to attack birds i don't know if that's possible but yes <laughs> no nah, they're, they're 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 hyper aggressive predators you just need to keep them inside keep them entertained with lasers <laughs> cats love lasers apparently so do i no i'm kidding <laughs> my wife uses it on me all the time i get easily distracted but uh yes yeah, so there you have it another body with a hobby thank you so much eric for coming on and just sharing your knowledge and your passion about birding I really had a great time talking to you. And if you guys want to learn more about Eric, go check him out. Like he's got a bunch of links. I'll put all of those in the description below. And if you'd like to be on this podcast or have any questions at all, you can send me an email at timeforyourhobby at gmail.com. And of course, if you like the podcast and want to show some support, leaving a review is always good. I, I'll even take a negative review. It helps build my podcast and figure out what works for me, what doesn't work for me. The idea is I want to make this a good experience for everybody. And of course, a weird segue, I also sell merchandise with the Time For Your Hobby logo on it on things you didn't know you didn't need. So why not? And uh, all that information will be in the description below. So once again, thank you so much, Eric. Yeah, thank you. So until the next episode, Make some time for your hobby. Take care. <laughs>